2 Kings chapter 5, I'm in verse number 20. Let me start reading right there, all right? But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, Behold, my master hath spared Naaman this Syrian in not receiving at his hands that which he brought. But as the Lord liveth, I will run after him and take somewhat of him. So Gehazi followed after Naaman, and when Naaman saw him running after him, he lighted down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? And he said, All is well. My master hath sent me, saying, Behold, even now there be come to me from Mount Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Give them, I pray thee, a talent of silver and two changes of garments. And Naaman said, Be content, take two talents. And he urged him and bound two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of garments and laid them upon two of his servants and they bare them before him. And when he came to the tower, he took them from their hand and bestowed them in the house. And he let the men go and they departed. But he went in and stood before his master. And Elisha said unto him, Whence comest thou, Gehazi? And he said, Thy servant went no whither. And he said unto him, Went not mine heart with thee when the man turned again from his chariot to meet thee? Is it a time to receive money and to receive garments and olive yards and vineyards and sheep and oxen and men servants and maid servants? The leprosy therefore of Naaman shall cleave unto thee and unto thy seed forever. And he went out from his presence a leper as white as snow. I want to call your attention to a very familiar story. In fact, probably the most familiar miracle in the ministry of Elisha is the cleansing of uh, this leper by the name of Naaman. And that is in the first part of this chapter. This is the sequel, if you will. This is uh, the rest of the story. Uh, in the verses that we've read tonight. In fact, as I looked at this chapter, I've been preaching through the life of Elisha at our church, and so I looked at this chapter, I really kind of divided it up into three different stories, three different sections, stories that would be uh, similar and familiar to every uh, believer in here, I'm sure. And... Um, I thought about the first part, really where the miracle takes place, and I, I'm not going to preach that tonight. So much, so much, uh, 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 just just uh, wonderful theology and uh, and uh, and and causes for worship there in that first part of this uh, chapter right here. But I would call it when I read that first part, maybe through verse about fourteen or so. I think I would call it uh, that same old sinner's story. That's what I read there. It's just the story of an old sinner that got saved by the grace of God. Somebody that had the, the, the disease of sin just eating away at them, destroying their life, threatening everything that they loved, slowly deteriorating everything about them, and God just out of nowhere, I mean, saves an old Gentile, and uh, I mean, just in an amazing way. And uh, Does anybody else got a story like that? I would say we all have a different testimony but we all got the same old story, don't we? We were lost on our way to hell. Sin was destroying our life, but God made His way in our life. And it's that same old sinner's story that we hear all the time. 
And then I, I began to look around verse 15 or so, and if I was going to section off another little section in this chapter, I think I'd go to verse 15 to verse 19, and, uh, and we see a totally different uh, man. I mean, he's got a different attitude. He's got a different outlook. He's got a new lease on life. It's that same old salvation story, isn't it? This man, he's no longer plagued with the, with the uh, disease of this leprosy. Uh, he knows that there's one God in the whole universe and it is the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and there's a change in his life. Can I tell you, that's that same old salvation story. Again, we got different testimonies but we can all testify in here that salvation makes a change in your life. When you get saved, you get changed. You are different from what you used to be. And man, this man is trying to give all everything away, trying to give his money away. And man, he said, you know what? He starts thinking about this. I ain't got time to preach this, but he says, you know, Elisha, man, when I get back home, he said, I'm going to have to go with my master into that pagan temple and I'm going to have to hold his hand and help him up and help as he do it. He said, man, I'm feeling bad about all of that. You remember when you got saved, you started feeling bad about things that you never thought another thought about before? I tell you, that's that same old salvation story, ain't it? Amen. But then when we come to the last part of this verse, the last part of this chapter, I'm going to call it that same old sad story. It's the story of somebody that knows all about the ministry, all about the miracles. If anybody knew anything about God, listen, I'm telling you something, Gehazi ought to know all about it. He's been behind the scenes. Uh, he's seen the inner workings of it all. He's been there serving Elisha, the man of God. And he's seen it all. And he knows what God can do. And he knows about the power of God. And he knows about the grace of God. And he knows about the work of God. He knows it all. And yet we find him falling. We find him uh, uh, falling into sin sin, succumbing to temptation and, uh, and, and just absolutely destroying his life and ministry. And brother Allen, I want to say that, that it's that same old sad story of sin. I wish I never would get another phone call about somebody that has fell into sin. I wish I never would hear another story about that. But uh, it's all too familiar, isn't it? It's that, and that's what I'm preaching on tonight, just for a moment, that same old sad story. We've had a good service. I'm about to kill it right here, all right? I'm telling you, I just got a burden on my heart tonight. That same old sad story about somebody that knew God, somebody that knew the power of God and the work of God and the grace of God and, and the mighty mighty ministry and, and mighty miracles on a personal level and now he's out. When people are tempted to sin, when people succumb to temptation... They always believe that their situation is somehow unique, don't they? This is different. I'm justified. and I, I, You know, it's just different. Or, or they think everybody else will get caught, but I'm not going to get caught. Yeah. Yeah. But can I tell you what Gehazi I don't know is what he's going through in this text. It's that same old story. You say, preacher, how old is it? Oh, it's old. Right. It's really old. Right. It's like the book of Genesis old. 
I mean, I th- Gehazi thinks his situation's unique and maybe he's justified in some way and maybe he's going to get by and he's not going to get caught with what he's doing. But Gehazi, I, I want to tell you, sir, listen, all, you don't have to go far. Just go back to the book of Genesis in chapter number 3 and when the very first sin committed by mankind, it's exactly the same as we read in this text. Not only does it go back, but this text that we're reading here tonight, it goes forward to even every sin that you ever commit, every sin that I've ever committed. It's that same old sad story over and over again. There's no temptation taking you but such as is common to man. It's the same thing. Let me tell you something about the devil. He, does, he hasn't changed much. His strategy, listen, his strategies sometimes change a little bit. Or, well, let me say it this way. His strategies really don't change much. It's really the same thing over and over, but he presents it in a different way. His presentations change. His strategies don't change, but his presentations change. His packages change. It's the same old garbage just wrapped in a new package every time. Every time. Sin, it's the same, it, listen, it's the same, uh, it, it may, well let me say it this way, it may be different places, and it, and, and it may be different faces, but sin always leaves the same old traces every single time. It's the same thing every single time. In fact, when I read this text, I I couldn't help think about the Garden of Eden and and how every sin, really I know it's different, but every sin is exactly the same. It's exactly the same. Every single time, it's exactly the same. And if if I can say that even in the the events in our text that we read here tonight, they're really, uh, I'm going to make up a word here, they're they're Eden-esque. They remind me of the Garden of Eden and what Satan did to seduce Eve and then ultimately Adam, and then ultimately humanity. It's the same old sad story every single time. And maybe you've wondered sometimes about, man, how could they get there? How could they do that? How could this? Per- how, how could they? that family? They were the they were the best in the church. That preacher, he was the best at the meeting. They, they were, how how in the world have you ever just scratched your head and wondered how in the world does stuff like that happen? <laughs> happens the same way every time. No exception. No exception. I'm going to tell you exactly how that happened in this text. Garden of Eden and then last Tuesday. I mean, it's the same every single time. Every single time. It's that same old sad story. Number one, the first thing that happens... I'll just use it in talking about Gehazi here. We'll say, first of all, number one, let me say this. He despised his ministry. He despised his ministry. I want you to see in verse number 20, notice this with me if you will. I found this very interesting. It says, but Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God. Do you see, let me just stop right there just for a second. It gives a title to who Gehazi is. Now, when I read that, I thought that was very interesting right there because this is not the introduction of Gehazi to the reader. We're not being introduced. We know who Gehazi is. In fact, if you go back and look through, I went back through and counted, I believe this is the eighth 
time that Gehazi has been mentioned by name. We already know who Gehazi is. We already know what he's doing. We already know what his role is. We already know what his position is. He's there. He was there when the boy was raised back to life. He had an integral part in that. He was there when Elisha healed the poisonous waters of Jericho. He was there when he healed the poisonous pottage. And He was there when the bread was multiplied for the, for the, uh, the, the, the Bible college students to eat. He was there for every single bit of it. We already know who Gehazi is. Why does the Bible have to tell us all again that Gehazi is the servant of Elisha, the man of God? Why is that emphasized like that? Well, I couldn't tell you for sure, but I know what God did in my heart when I read that. I was reminded of the position that he had. I was reminded of who he was. I was reminded of the blessing that God had given him and the privilege that God had given him and the position that God had given him. We're reminded just before he jumps, just before he falls, just before he dives into sin and destroys his life, we're reminded of the great privilege and the great position that God had given to him. Listen, not every, there were a bunch of preacher boys in that, in that Bible because not everybody got to travel with Elisha. Not everybody got to see the miracles that Gehazi did. Not everybody got to see and be a part of all the things that Gehazi got to be a part of. And listen, we're reminded right before he jumps, he's the servant of Elisha, the man of God. But that wasn't on his mind. Gehazi wasn't thinking about that. Gehazi wasn't thinking about, man, God sure has let me see some things. Man, God sure has let me be a part of some things. Man, God sure has been good. Man, look at look at what I look at look who I get to serve. Man, look where I look what I have. Man, look at the things I get to see. That's not what Gehazi was thinking about. All he was thinking about is what he didn't have. Can I tell you how the devil comes at you? Let me tell you, it's exactly how he come to Eve in the Garden of Eden. It wasn't, hey, look at all these trees God's going to let you eat. Man, look at this perfect environment that you're living in. Look how wonderful it is. No, Satan takes Eve and he draws her attention to the very things that she cannot have. The very first step in every single sin that you've ever committed, big, bad, little, small, however you want to classify it, I don't know if God classifies it like that, but I know we do. But every single one of them, I don't care how, 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 how disgusting or, 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 uh, or uh, acceptable that it might be in people's eyes. Every sin you've ever committed. The first thing the devil does is he starts to get your eyes off of the blessings of God in your life. He gets your eyes off of what God has given to you and He starts making you think about and dwell about everything and dwell on everything that you do not have. He was not thinking about the great privilege that he, and position that He had. He was only thinking about what He did not have. Can I tell you something, friend? If you're going to stay right, if you're going to stay clean, if you're going to stay holy, you're going to have to stay thankful. You're going to have to stay thoughtful. You're going to have to think about it. And you read Romans 1, right? The apostasy, the, Brother Blue would preach on it, he calls it the route to apostasy. It's a downward spiral. It's a digression. And where does it start? Neither were they what? Thankful. Just, just not being thankful for what God had given to them. I think about Joseph, Old Testament Joseph. 
when he was met with temptation, Mrs. Potiphar cast her wicked eyes on Joseph. Wicked words, wicked hands, wicked thoughts, wicked motives, wicked intentions. And what did Joseph do? What was his response to the solicitation to sin? What was his response? I can't do this. It would be a sin against my master. He said, man, my master's been so good to me. Man, God's been good to me. And man, God, look where God, look at the position that I have. And Joseph started talking about his position. He said, my master don't even know everything that he's got. He's put it in my hand. I'm over it all. He's given me everything except one thing, and that's you, sis. And he wasn't thinking about what he couldn't have. He was thinking about everything that he did have. And he was able to say no. He was able to resist. He was able to run away. He was able to have victory over that moment. Why? Because he was thoughtful and because he was thankful. Thankfulness is more than just some little cute slogan we you know, crochet on a pillow somewhere. It's more than just little decorations we put out at Thanksgiving. And thankfulness is your key to victory over sin. Because it's all about, temptation is all about, it's, it's a price is right game is what it is. It's what do you value? What, 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 what value do you put on things? And every single sin starts with a despising, a devaluing of the blessings of God and the things that He has given to us. If you're thankful for your church like you ought to be, listen, you won't, you won't be tempted to leave it. If you're thankful for your family like you ought to be, sir, you won't be tempted to step out and run away. Preachers, if you're thankful for your ministry like you ought to be, hey, listen, you won't be, you won't be tempted to do something that will cause you to absolutely lose it. Put value on the things that God has given to you. That's the first step. That's the first step into sin. You despise your ministry, what the things that God has given to you. And the second step, and we're stepping down, by the way. He despised his blessing. Secondly, he disparaged, or we say it like this, he disrespected. Why don't we say it like that? He disrespected his master. Not only did he despise his ministry, but then we find him disrespecting his master. Look at verse number 20. I'm still there. It says, But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, Look here. Behold, my master hath spared Naaman, this Syrian, in not receiving at his hands that which he brought. You know what he just said right there? He said, Elisha's made a mistake. Elisha's made... My master has messed up. Here comes this guy. He's a bazillionaire. And that is a technical term, by the way. Bazillionaire. And he wants to give money to the ministry. And Elisha says, no. Now, I'm going to be honest. That has never happened in a Baptist church. Now, and the Bible even says that Naaman, you read the text, Naaman urged him. Isn't that what it says? He's back up, uh, verse 17, 18, somewhere in there. Hey, he, 16, 15, I don't know. It's in there. He urged him. Naaman was urging him. Like, take money. Now, I've seen preachers get up and urge people to give. <laughs> John Morgan. I've never seen anybody urge a, a preacher to take the money. Okay. Now, 
when well, sometimes I'll I'll say no just the first time, you know, just to be nice. But if they if they going to offer it a second time, I'll be like, well, you know, you know that verse in the Bible says you don't want to rob somebody of a blessing. Amen. I don't know what verse that. Second Opinions twenty four seven. I think. Well, we don't want to rob them of a blessing. Amen. But. And Elisha says, no, we don't want to. We're not taking it. We're not taking the money. Now, can you imagine? Sunday morning, White Graves Baptist Church. The faithful start filing in, Brother Will Allen. And all of a sudden, you got somebody that looks familiar, but you can't quite place it. You know they've never been here before. But, and all of a sudden, it occurs to you, Bill Gates has walked in to your sanctuary. And he sits through the service, and Brother Will Allen preaches the gospel message, the good news. Bill Gates weeping and crying. He comes to the altar, and he apolog- I mean, he repents of all his, you know, globalization and vaccine stuff, and, and all that stuff. <laughs> Sorry, I spent too much time on the internet, and uh, and <laughs> and he gets gloriously saved. And he said, "Brother Will," he said, "Pastor Allen, I tell you what, I got to do before I fly back to wherever." Uh, wherever he lives, I don't know where he lives. He said, before I go back, he said, man, I, I want to be a blessing to this ministry. And he gets out his checkbook, and he just starts adding the zeros. I mean, just over and over and over on that thing. And Brother Will, I mean, I don't know what you'd be thinking, Brother Will, but if that happened in my church, I'm thinking, man, we're going to pay this building off, praise God. Man, I think well, we, could, we could get this fixed, and we can get that fixed, and man, we can do this. And man, I've been wanting to build this. I want to buy that property and build this youth camp. And man, I want to do this. And man, we could buy, and all the I'm just all the things that we could do. But then the Holy Ghost says, "No." Brother Will looks at him and says, "Mr. Gates, or Brother Gates, maybe we call him now." He said, "Brother Gates, we don't want your money." Now I'm gonna be honest. And then Brother Gates gets on his knees and says, Pastor Allen, please take $75 million right now. Please take it. Brother Allen says, no. God told me not to take it. I'm going to be honest. If I'm Will Allen's assistant pastor, I'm mad. (laughs) Because I'm thinking, okay, my salary is $72.58 a week around here. I'm mopping floors, and I, man, I live in a house. I'm just, I'm not, I'm not saying you would do it. Like but for illustrative purposes, Brother Allen, I love you, brother. I know you'd be, you'd be a, I'd love to work for you anytime. In fact, I might get fired here soon. I may come work for you, amen. Man, I, oh, Gehazi, he's thinking, man, you know what Gehazi's thinking? Man, we got a leak in the room, and that room I sleep in, man, it's cold, and man, my bed is hard, and man, that roof's been leaking, and every time I think, man, we can do this, you know, we just never have money for this, and we never have money for that, and, I, and he's trying to give us money. Think of what we could do. Think of all the Bible colleges we could build, and these sons of the prophets that, that need, a, need some help, and, and need food, and man, think of what we could think of all this stuff we could do, and Gehazi's just steaming mad. He really believes in his heart of hearts. Elisha, my master, is wrong. He's wrong. He is withholding from us good things. Why would he not want us to have good things? Is that not exactly what Satan said to Eve in the Garden of Eden? 
Isn't that that the way it's always packaged? God knows that when you eat of that fruit, that your eyes will be open. You're living a new world. Man, it's going to be so much better. And He is holding it back. He's holding the best life back from you. He's hindering you. He's limiting you. And that's exactly where it went. And in Eve's mind, all Satan had to do was just poison her mind just a little bit to to make her go from thinking good of her master. Now she's thinking ill of her master. First she's thinking, man, God is wonderful. He's the greatest. I love Him. We love His fellowship. We love what He's given us everything we have. And here comes Satan with his little temptation. And all he had to do was just turn her perspective. Poison her mind about God. And can I tell you, at the root of every sin, what you will find is that Satan has poisoned your mind about who God is. He's made you think that God's holding back on you. There's some, if you're going to be happy, if you're going to be fulfilled, if you're going to live the best life, the only way to do it is to step over the boundary and cross the line. And, 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 and do, Because the boundaries that God's put up, it's just miserable inside here, ain't it? That's what He'll make you think. That's what young people think a lot of times, ain't it? Man, these, these fences, these lines, these rules... Just misery in here. And they're looking over there and think, that's where the fun's at. That's where the happiness is. That's where the fulfillment is. That's where the satisfaction is. And the devil's got you looking over that line and you think it's over there. Can I tell you something? Let me just ruin it right here for you. He's a liar! He's a liar! I'm talking about pants on fire. Nose as long as a telephone wire. Amen. He's a liar. Those people over there are miserable. God doesn't hem you in because He hates you. He hems you in because He loves you. And He knows what's out there. It's not going to fulfill you. It's going to hurt you. And God's been right 11 out of 10 times. He's always right about it. He'll get you to disrespect your master and think bad things about him. And that's where Gehazi was. First, he wasn't thinking about his position and his blessings and his ministry. And then he started thinking bad of Elisha. He's messed up. He's made a mistake. How about this? Have you ever thought about this? You ever thought about there might be some things that God knows that you don't know? You ever thought about that? You ever thought about that? You ever, you ever thought about this that maybe God knows more than you? There's a good possibility that's true. You think that maybe when Elisha said no to Naaman that he knew some things that Gehazi didn't know? Absolutely. In fact, go over to, go over to, verse, number, uh, over to verse number 26. Elisha tries to explain some of these things. He said, Went not mine heart with thee when the man turned again from his chariot to meet thee? He said, Is it a time to receive money and to receive garments and olive yards? You know what he said? He said, It's not time for that yet. He said, it's a timing issue. Well, Gehazi, I wasn't thinking about that. What do you mean it's a, it's, a, it's a timing issue? Well, did you know that Jesus only mentioned one miracle during the ministry that, that comes from the ministry of Elijah? It's in Luke chapter 4. He mentions one from Elijah, and he mentions one from Elisha. And both of those miracles had to do with Gentiles. Remember, Jesus told those Pharisees, he said, there were many widows during the days of Elijah. But only, only one got sustained, right? The meal, the meal that never ran out and all that stuff. Only one. And then he mentions there were, there were many lepers in Israel during the ministry of, of Elisha. But only one got healed. And who was it? It was a Gentile. 
know what the point was of that? You know what the point of this whole miracle was? The point of this whole miracle was it was a type, it was a foreshadow, it was a pointing to the future of one day God saving Gentiles. And by the way, how much does it cost for a Gentile to get saved? What does he have to pay to get saved? Zero dollars. That whole thing was to show Naaman, the God of Israel is not like those pagan gods back home. The God of Israel is not like those old, old, old gods that you know. Those gods that they require all kind of things and money and things and you got to say your Hail Marys and your prayer beads and light candles and give all your... Those pagan gods require... But I'm going to tell you something about the God of Israel. You don't have to sacrifice your son. He gave His for you. I'm going to tell you something about the God of Israel. You don't have to pay anything. He paid it all for you. And when Gehazi charged Naaman for his cleansing, he broke a type. God's serious about them. You ask Moses about that. You know what? You know what God was saying? You know what it was? It was a timing issue. It's not time. There will be a time when God will bless us financially. There will be a time. But right now, while old Naaman is trying to figure out who the God of Israel is, this isn't the time. And he blew, Gehazi ended up blowing the theology of a man who was trying to learn who God was because he was selfish. I can see old Gehazi maybe scratch his head and say, you know what? I didn't think about that. By the way, that's usually what people say after they've ruined their life with sin. You know what? I didn't think about that. But you know what? Here's the good news. God has thought about it. You don't have to. You just need to obey what He says. My kids sometimes, they have to know every little thing that we're doing all the time and every little detail. And sometimes I just got to tell them in a nice way, Shut up! <laughs> in a nice way. It's not, you don't have to figure it out. Don't, I don't want my kids worrying about bills. I don't want my kids worrying about, about, about electric bill and how much the light bill is. I just want them to cut the light off when they come out of their room. Questions like, come out of every single light in the whole house is on. How do they do that? They just cut every. They know how, They know the the switch. It goes up. That's all they know. That's all they've learned. Now I don't need to sit down and explain to them everything about kilowatts and 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 and, and Duke Energy. That's who I paid to, or I was. But anyway, uh, that, all that's. I don't need to explain it. They just need to know. Turn the light off. That's all they need to know. Sometimes obedience is just simple obedience. That's all you need to know. Because there are things that are going on that you have no idea about. And you just need to trust God. It's a timing issue. But he disrespected his master. And then, ultimately, he disrespected his master by not just resentment, but then replacement. Because he ended up... That's at the root of every sin, too, by the way. You, you become your own master. Every sin is, and that's what, he, that's what he does. He said, look what he says. At the, uh, I'm in verse, back in verse number 20. He says, uh, yeah, he spared Naaman. That means he messed up. But as the Lord liveth, look what he said. He said, I will run after him. Oh, he got a case of the I wills. I will. I will. I will. Elisha done said, you won't. But then he said, I will. Can I tell you something? Anytime them I wills come on the scene, I promise you, Satan is near. He's the I will master. Have you ever read Isaiah 14? I will exalt myself. I will be like the most high. I will, I will, I will. That's what 
The first per person Satan ever deceived and lied to was himself. I will, no, you won't. But he thought he could. I, I guess you could, you could contrast that with, a, with the perfect man by the name of Jesus, the only perfect man in the Garden of Gethsemane. He didn't have the I wills, he had the thy wills, didn't he? He said, it ain't I will, it's thy will. Not my will, but thine be done. Whenever you get them I wills, bow ups, I will, I will, I will. I'm tell you something, you're messing up. You, you may not say it with your lips, but with your life, you said, you know what? God, you're a horrible God. I would be a better one. So just move over and let me sit on the throne. That's Satan. That's Luciferian is what that is. He despised his ministry. He disrespected his master. I was gonna, I'm not going to preach this thought, but I was going to say something about he disregarded his mind. His own conscience. He knew what was right and what was wrong. But he did it anyway. And, and I don't, I'm not going to preach all that. I'm about done. But I thought about Adam. And the Bible says that Adam was not deceived. That's what Paul said about Adam. 1 Timothy, end of chapter 2, I think he said, Adam was not deceived. He knew what he was doing. But he took the knowledge that he had of God's will and the conscience that God had given him. And he said, I'm going to put that aside. I'm going to give in. He, he violated his conscience. That's exactly what... You, to, to lie... I'm talking about Gehazi went up to this man that had just got saved. He's a brand new... Can I use that terminology? A brand new Christian. I mean, he's just bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. And, and, and Gehazi went right up to him and just took advantage of him. You've got to violate your conscience to do something like that. That's not where it started, though. First, he despised his ministry. Then he disrespected his master. And he disregarded his conscience, disregarded his mind. And then lastly, and I'm done, he dismissed his meeting. Look at what it says in verse 24. And when he came to the tower, talking about where he, where he lived, he took them from their hand and bestowed them in the house, those things that he wasn't supposed to take. And he let the men go and they departed. Look at verse 25. But... He went in and stood before his master. You know what he wasn't thinking about during all this? He wasn't thinking about this fact. When this sin is over, and I think I got it all tucked away, and nobody knows, I got to stand before my master. And you know what? Satan don't want you thinking about that. He wants you living like you'll never have to give an account for anything ever, ever again. But can I tell you what will help you? Is live your life with the judgment seat in view. If you'll live your life... I wonder, I wonder if, if, if Gehazi was tempted, and, and even... I mean, he, ought, he ought not to do it for a thousand different reasons, but if, if, the, if the last reason keeping him from doing it was, you know what? I've got to stand before Elisha. I've got to stand before my master. And by the way, Elisha knew exactly... you see what he tells you? He said... He said, Gehazi, where you been? I love Gehazi's answer. He said, no wither. <laughs> nowhere. Listen, when you ask a kid, where you been? And they say, nowhere, they've been somewhere. You know I'm telling the truth. When you ask about what did you do? And they say, nothing, they did something. <laughs> what do you mean you've been nowhere? Obviously, you've been somewhere. 
But Elisha didn't even have to get off the couch. I don't think Elisha's been off the couch this whole time. I don't know. <laughs> he wouldn't answer the door when Naaman knocked on it. He sent Gehazi. That made Naaman really mad, but he got over it. Elisha said, I didn't have to go with you. He said, look what he said in that text. He said, my heart. <laughs> he said, my heart went with you. My heart went with you. You know, if we were more concerned about breaking God's heart, we wouldn't break His rules. He said, Gehazi, when you went after Naaman, and when you took his, took all those things I told you we're not supposed to take right now, I want you to know you, my heart went with you. Can I tell you something? For, for, for those that are lost, judgment's going to be bad. We know that. Great white throne. I'm telling you, for those that are saved, I know we don't have to give an account for our sins, but we will give an account as sons. And we're going to find out just what we did to the heart of God. But he wasn't thinking about that. Neither is anybody else. Oh, Adam and Eve, they sinned in the garden. They took of that fruit. You know something they weren't thinking about at that moment? What about when God comes by? About, what about that time they got to when God said, Adam, where art thou? It's almost the same, it's almost the same as this text right here. When, uh, he said, whence, whence comest thou? Or something. He asked a question like that, Elisha does. It's almost the same. You, it's, the fact is this, is you may sin, but listen, you're going to have to give an account. It's almost like a Gehazi I thought he was going to get by with it. He thought he was going to get away with it. But I love how the text puts it in verse number 25. Verse 24, he puts all that stuff in his house. The men go. Verse 25, it doesn't say and he went in. It says but he went in. You know what that means? This thing's about to take a turn. I tell you, you might think you can sin and get by. But one day, this thing's going to take a turn. Don't dismiss you're standing before your master one day. It's that same old sad story. You know what we need to do? We need to be thankful for what he's given us. You know what we need to do? We need to fall head over heels in love with our master. Like that, like that willing servant, I love my master. I plainly say, I love my master. And you know what? If he says I can't have it, it must be because he loves me. When you love Him, you won't disrespect Him like that. When you love God, that's why the greatest commandment, the greatest commandment is what? Love the Lord thy God. Jesus said, if you can keep that one, you won't worry about breaking the rest of them. That's the greatest commandment. If the greatest command is to love the Lord thy God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, then the greatest sin is to not love Him. And it's the sin that leads to every sin. Fall in love with Him. Be sensitive to the Spirit of God. And then have a holy, healthy fear of God. That you're going to have to stand before Him and give an account one day. I don't want my... I, I, I've done heard all... Listen. I can get a pianist if that's alright, brother. I'm done. I'm done. It's late. It's time to go. But listen, I've done heard all the sad stories I want to hear. I'm tired of it. 
I'm sick and tired. I don't want to hear another one. It breaks my heart. And what people can't see is it's the same thing over and over and over. It's the same. Oh, but preacher, this boy, it's the same thing. This girl, this job, this money, this thing. It's the same. It's always the same. It starts the same. I hate it, but it always ends the same. They destroy their life. They throw everything away. You say, well, I'm good. All right. You're the first one about to go, man. Take heed. Take heed. You know what that means? Pay attention. You say, well, I'm good. I'm thankful. Take some inventory. Oh, I love God. Pay it. Take heed. Pay attention. You say, well, I... I'm sensitive to the Spirit of God. Take heed. You say, I, I'm a, I, I'm a, I, I fear God. I, I know I'm going to stand before Him one day. But do you really know it? Do you really believe it? Take heed lest you what? Lest you fall. Lest you fall. Let's stand together all over the building. It's just the same old sad story. But it don't have to be yours tonight. By the grace of God, I think I'm just going to preach myself under conviction tonight. <laughs> I just want to call up somewhere and say, God, help me. God, help me. I don't want that story to be my story.